listening to What Did I Say with Dan Rothenberg. Hello and welcome to What Did I Say. My name is Dan Rothenberg. I'm a stand-up comedian turned therapist. In 2009, I decided to return to grad school because my comedy career was going very well. And now I'm a licensed therapist. I live in Portland, Oregon. I have a practice specializing in teenagers, tweens, and young adults. I decided to do this podcast because in the process of working with young people, I've become really passionate about the parenting component of that, specifically helping parents increase their connection and improve their relationship with their teenagers and young adults now that 25 is the new 17 rather than just focusing on the problems like screen time, homework, motivation. Now, that's not to say that all of that stuff isn't important, and we are going to address those issues, but through the lens of fixing the relationship rather than just the behavior. Because we don't want to just be on the sidelines for our children's adolescence. It's actually, believe it or not, it's an exciting time. It's a positive time, and we shouldn't have to miss it. Now, to give you fair warning... A part of improving any relationship is doing some self-reflection. So we're going to have to look at, for instance, what are we role modeling? I have a 12-year-old. Lately, I hear him in his room, like, pacing around and cursing. Son of a... Like, adult angst. And I'm like, what what, what are you being audited in there? I I thought you were playing Legos. And I got to tell you... It, look, I'm a comedian. I don't make a big deal about language. But at the same time, it doesn't really make me feel good, like as a parent, you know, to, to hear like stress-induced F-bombs coming from my 12-year-old. And there's no rewind on that. It's done. You can't put that back in the bottle. And it's me. <laughs> but he's not being the me that I want him to be, you know, like the me that's kind of trying to do better. No, he's just being the me that he sees. It's like kids just watch and learn. They're uncompromising like that. But I say let's just get real with it because there's a lot of advantages to growth and change, even though it's uncomfortable and it's scary. We start pushing 40 and 50, we figure we're closed for business. We are who we are. Now our kids just have to deal with it. But let's think of the advantages. First of all, growth and change is free. You don't need insurance to develop as a human being. No copay. Secondly, again, we have a chance of actually fixing the problems that are bothering us if we connect and form a relationship with our teenagers. They might actually listen to us. I swear, I've seen it happen. Well, I've heard rumors of it happening. Look at it this way. I would be willing to guarantee that regardless of the results, spending time Learning how to communicate with our teenagers is more valuable than trying to figure out the magic number of days that we take away their phone so they just do what we want. Now, we're going to start off every episode with a parenting tip, something you can put into action starting today. For our first tip, we're going to address the issue of BS. I'm apparently trying to keep it clean. At this point, we'll see how long that lasts. Adolescence is a time of BS for both teenagers and parents. Teenage BS is often about avoiding consequences, not wanting to disappoint parents, gaining freedom, while 
parental BS, yes, that exists, tends to be about micromanaging our kids, kind of having an agenda, often rooted in our own anxiety. Now, does this conversation sound familiar to you? You were supposed to call last night when you got to Connor's house. Dude, I tried. Do kids still say dude? Whenever I say dude, I'm playing the role of the kid. Okay, I realize I'm a Gen Xer. Dude, I tried. The call kept dropping. It was like bad cell service out there. I was worried sick about you. Dude, I know. I totally felt bad. When you don't do what I ask, there was no cell service, dude. You don't believe anything I say anyway, so what's the point? Let's stop there since we can see where that's going. Now, the problem here, as I see it, is that we're addressing the value of honesty rather than responsibility, which traps the parent into this futile argument about the truth of a situation that we didn't witness. So rather than approaching bullshit, okay, see, we're there, as being untruthful, let's reframe it as an excuse for not doing what we say we're going to do. In life, making excuses complicates relationships and screws up careers. So we want to teach our kids not to make excuses. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. Like speaking from experience, telling your boss that you didn't complete a task because of something like cell service, you might get one of those a year, but eventually Subway's going to find someone else to mix their tuna. Oh, still have flashbacks. But anyway, with this reframe, we have more to work with. It's about responsibility. So let's try it again. Dude. I tried calling you, but there was no cell service. I understand. But our agreement was that if you didn't call, you'd be grounded for one night the following weekend. But but it wasn't my fault, but it was your responsibility. Being bored at home for a night will help remind you to check the cell service in advance. Do what you got to do so you fulfill your obligations. This sucks. I agree. This is where we want to try to be with teenagers. Notice, I'm not judging criticizing or over-lecturing. I'm not being permissive or getting walked on. This is because I have a plan and I know what value I'm trying to instill. This is the great North Star when parenting teens. Easier said than done. I'm having this argument with myself, but an ideal to strive for. Okay, that was today's parenting tip. Thank you very much. Every episode, I'm going to try to incorporate the expertise of another therapist or professional. This will take the form of an interview or a discussion of a popular parenting book. Today, we're going to do both. Since we're focused on connecting with our children, it is only fitting that we begin with the book, The Conscious Parent by Dr. Shafali Sabari. This was a New York Times bestseller back in 2010, prefaced by the Dalai Lama, big hitter, the Lama, praised by Eckhart Tolle, all the famous calm people recommend the conscious parent. And it's about connecting with our children on a conscious level rather than playing out the unconscious patterns we learn from our childhood and society, which limit us as individuals and parents. To quote Dr. Sabari, while you may believe your most important challenge is to raise your children well, there's an even more essential task you need to attend to, which is the foundation of effective parenting. The task is to raise yourself into the most awakened and present individual you can be. The reason this is central to good parenting is that children don't need our ideas and expectations or our dominance and control. 
only for us to be attuned to them with our engaged presence. Okay, stay with me. I realize this might sound like pre-COVID idealism. How do we become attuned and engaged with our kids when they'll barely talk to us? To answer that question, let's begin with my first interview, which I am very excited about. We were colleagues at Penny Lane Centers in Los Angeles, where we worked with foster youth. She is now the CEO and founder of the wildly successful group practice in Santa Clarita and Lancaster, California, Healing Solutions Family Therapy Center. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Trish Colcourt. Trish, how does a parent know when they've crossed the line from diligent parenting into being controlling? Well, it's almost like it's not even so much being controlling as they end up being in a power struggle. Okay. okay. And that's kind of what, what I, because I sit back and listen, the parents are telling me what's going on. The kids are telling me what's going on. We're in intake or mom's in to kind of give me an update of where we're at. It's like, she's not actually getting what she wants um, because of how she's doing it. And she's an amazing parent. She has all of the good intentions. But when you get in these power struggles with kids, you tend to spend more time in the power struggle and less time actually solving the issue. How can you tell? How do I know if I'm power struggling? So um, I am a big proponent of love and logic parenting. One of the things they talk about is connecting before you correct. Mm-hmm. So connect with your kid because they want to have an investment. Like you want to invest in your kid that's not just redirecting them or uh-huh. punishing them or disciplining them or that kind of thing. Because when they're invested in the relationship with you, then they're going to be more attentive to what you're saying. But it's about giving away the control you don't need. So your kids need to get their homework done. They need to have less screen time. And it's a lot of like giving choices, but you agree with all the choices, right? So it's not like, do you want to do math or do you want to play Halo? Because the Mm -hmm. kid's going to play Halo all day long, Mm -hmm. right? It's like you can play Halo once your math homework is done. It's an enforceable statement. We're not arguing. It's just, it is. You can play Halo when your math homework's done. So I'm hearing structure and mm-hmm. sort of having a plan. Yep. And I think this is what I notice it comes down to. Once you're communicating with your kid, trying to stay out of judgment and stay mm-hmm. out of stay out of argument. So it's not that we're being permissive. It's mm-hmm. that here's your choice, homework, then halo. Right. So, but the whole giving away all the control you don't need isn't just about that conversation. It's giving your kid choices all the time so they feel like they have choice. Kids have these, there's this really great book I used to use when we were doing the work at Penny Lane and it was called like, How Full Is Your Bucket or something like that. And it was about Uh all the buckets that kids need to have filled up. They need like an attention bucket, Mm -hmm. right? They also need a control bucket. They need to feel like they have control over their lives because if they feel like they have control over nothing, they stop caring. And then everything's an argument. Give away all the power you don't need. That way, when you put your foot down, Uh the kids are not like, well, they put their foot down for everything. They put their foot down over strawberries and they put their foot down over staying out till 5 a.m. Like those are very different things, right? You got something to say about everything. And no matter what I do, it's not good enough. Exactly. And that's when parents and kids are separating. We lose Mm -hmm. them. Oh, no, there becomes this huge divide. With social media and technology, I work with a lot of kids that they're going into their room and 
living in the in the internet world (laughs) totally living in their room saying they're doing their homework right so you want to connect with your child and give them some choices like hey bud like it's you know teenage boy Mm -hmm. why don't you come out here and work at the kitchen table on your math homework and i'm gonna you know whatever you've got to do like balance the checkbook pay the bills read a book what are you modeling so begin by modeling and maybe doing it together right because I will tell you, my kids will sit down at the table and do homework with me doing like, I got to type notes for work or do payroll or whatever. I can sit there at the table. They'll sit there and do homework. Now, mm-hmm. if I say, I'm going to go watch a movie and I want you to sit here and do homework, you can't mm-hmm. go from absolutely no structure and no routine to, I just want you to do this. Mm-hmm. And how are you asking them? And a lot of parents give pushback when I talked about like, how are you asking them to do it? And they'll be like, I'm their parent. It doesn't matter. But it does matter to your relationship. Right. So this absolute power and authority changes as kids grow up. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, remember we talk about there's difference between authoritarian. Yes. And authoritative. authoritative, Right. If you go into authoritarian, they're just going to tune you out. Mm -hmm. Authoritative is very different. Like you are the authority, but you also like care about their feelings, care about what they have to say. Like they have these underlying needs because that behavior is not about that behavior. That behavior is meeting some kind of need that they have underlying. Mm-hmm. And if you can find a healthy way to meet the need, the what they call non-preferred behavior mm-hmm. will stop. Speaking of non-preferred behavior. So mm-hmm. I work with a lot of teenagers who as therapists, we can tell when there's this separation between the parents and the kids. Mm-hmm. And the non-preferred behavior, sex, drugs, etc., tends to be present. Right. So what's going on there? They're chasing the feeling of happiness, okay. of feeling accepted, of feeling loved. They're chasing, I mean, on a biochemical, they're they're chasing that dopamine, the serotonin, all of that. Mm-hmm. They don't have that, right? And they right. don't get that at home. So if I don't, if I'm at home and I'm not feeling love and support and acceptance, mm-hmm. I'm going to go get it. Exactly. And I'm going to get it the easy way. Exactly. Because they're not going out and having like appropriate, boundaried, healthy relationships <laughs> to find this love and acceptance. They're going the fast way. Right. They're not sneaking out and finding someone to validate their feelings. Exactly. Oh, speaking of validation, another thing that I use a lot with my parents is you can validate the feelings without validating the behavior. And that will get you a lot further than just harping on the behavior. Right. Okay. I use this with my daughter all the time. I understand why you're angry. I can totally see why you're frustrated. That would be really frustrating to me too. And how you're dealing with it is what's getting you into trouble. So how can I help you deal with your feelings in a different way? And that also goes back to modeling it mm-hmm. okay. because if we're modeling screaming obscenities at our spouse, when we're frustrated or perhaps pacing around alone and cursing and our teenager sees that that's how you deal with your frustration. then that's how they're going to deal with their frustration. Oh God. Oh, it's tough. I will oh, tell you tough. right now, when I became a facilitator for love and logic parenting, I was 21 years into my parenting gig. Uh-huh. So I had to change my parenting style at 41, 42 years old. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say it's easy because we are wired to parent the way we parent. 
a lot of times it's because that's how we were parented, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we can also be generous in our assumptions and be like, our parents were doing the best they could. That's all probably how they were parented. And now that we know how to do things differently, that whole Maya Angelou thing, right? You did the best you could with what you knew. And when you knew better, you did better. Mm-hmm. So it's about learning new things, trying new things, right? Mm-hmm. And when I work with my parents, I'm like, let's just try one thing. Let's try an enforceable statement or validate the feelings before you correct the behavior. Because if you say to your kid, like, I understand this is really frustrating for you. I mean, me and algebra, algebra and I, we were not friends until I went to grad school, like in high school and junior that's, high. Talk about the yeah. math or that's the name of yeah, the math. children. Okay. You never know. No, <laughs> yeah, true. No, I have no children named algebra, okay. uh, but in high, in junior high and high school, math and I were not friends. I struggled. It was frustrating. And when I tell my kids that like, oh yeah, I totally failed algebra when I was a freshman in high school, I'd take it again. And they look at me like, what? Like normalize the fact that it's not easy. So a lot of parents, we want to go the other way. We don't want to show Mm -hmm. that weakness. We want to keep that authority. We don't, Right. a parent would be afraid, okay, I'm enabling them to fail, but no, we can be vulnerable. We can be honest with our kids. Right. That's connection. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to be more likely to come tell you when they're drowning in math homework and they don't know what to do instead of, oh yeah, I got it done. And they're in there playing Halo and in their mind, they're going, holy shit, I'm just going to totally fail my test tomorrow, but uh," you know? But or they go to the whole self-deprecating thing, which is, well, I'm just stupid because apparently my parents have never failed at anything. So uh-huh. I'm an idiot. And they get that negative self-talk going, which then mm-hmm. perpetuates the non-preferred behavior, as we call it. Mm-hmm. And it just perpetuates the problem. So just to sum up what I think is an important point, when we talk kids out of their feelings, they feel like they're not good enough. We need to have our feelings. Mm-hmm. and. As parents, we kind of want to fix it. No, 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 no. It's not that hard. No, you can do math. No. So imagine this. If we say something to our kids like, no, 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 you're really smart. You can do this. That sounds positive, but that's not meeting them where they're at. Exactly. They're having a tough time. Exactly. Sometimes we need to say- This is really hard. Something like fucking chemistry. Mm -hmm. Oh, dude, I'm glad I'm not in high school anymore. I feel you. Mm Mm-hmm. How can we just take a step forward? And maybe the task isn't to do it all perfectly that night. The task is to get started. Right. And baby steps. Right. So speaking of baby steps, not to cut you off, I just want to, you're saying so many good things. When we're taking these initial baby steps, it's still not going to look perfect. For instance, let's say we drag that kid out and we do a little homework together for an hour. Maybe they're still on their phone longer than we'd like. Mm-hmm. So it's all baby steps. And if you want it to be sustainable, right, we're going to take some steps. But the most important part of parenting is connecting with your kid. Okay. Because once you have that connection, once they understand that you are in the trenches with them, mm-hmm. in all of their imperfection, then they're going to listen to what you have to say. And we also try to put like our value as a parent based on their successes, realizing that we're valuable as a parent because we show up every day and, yeah. and try to do the right thing, not because our kids are you know getting straight A's. Um, I want to circle back to the feelings where you said that it's really important that the kids are allowed to have their feelings. Yes. Uh, you know, Dr. Brene Brown? Mm-hmm. I 
I'm a big proponent of her. She's been doing research for, gosh, I was just listening to one of her podcasts. She started her research six months before 9-11. So we're 20 years in now, right? More than Uh 20 years in. And she said, we have been conditioned Uh to think that we are thinking beings that occasionally feel. (laughs) No, we are feeling beings that occasionally think. And when we get emotionally dysregulated as human beings, the prefrontal cortex completely like goes offline, uh-huh. like it's offline and the amygdala is running the show. Right. The, and the amygdala is fight, flight, freeze, panic. Yeah. 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 Remember fight, flight or freeze. Uh-huh. Freeze also can look like avoidance. And that's not your teenager saying, I don't love you. And I think that you're crappy. It's, I don't want to be shamed. I don't want to feel any worse about this than I already do. So I'm just going to try and hide in my room. And hopefully you don't notice I'm here. I hear a lot of kids say, you know what? I was about to do my homework. And then my dad came in and said, hey, remember to do your homework. And I lost motivation. Yeah. And especially like, uh, or why haven't you done it yet? Yeah. Or the point is, the control we're putting on our kids decreases their motivation. Mm-hmm. What- because again, if they feel like they have no control over their life, then why bother? So uh, Love and Logic Parenting has a great thing uh, that they that they taught how to do this. And I think it's awesome. It's giving, especially with teenagers, you're not going to do this with a five-year-old all the time, but like giving them the opportunity to figure it out themselves mm-hmm. and encouragement like this, like, you know what? I am confident that you can figure out a solution to this problem. So tell me what kind of plan you think would work. And give them the opportunity to come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. One of the problems that I did not find out until I went to college, because um, my parents, I, I have a really good relationship with my mom and my stepdad, and they're great. But I will tell you that the mom and stepdad that raised me were very controlling. Mm-hmm. I had the weirdest problem, and I was a very compliant child. Mm-hmm. I always say, hi, my name is Trisha. I'm a recovering people pleaser. <laughs> <laughs> I get I that. went to college. I went to college and did not know how to make any decisions for myself because they were always made for me. Mm -hmm. You want to teach your kids how to make their own decisions. And at the end of the day, I guess we have to trust that they're going to get it. Mm -hmm. And the thing of it is the end of the day, when they make a decision and it doesn't work out, it's not what the hell's wrong with you. Why did you do that? Well, that was stupid. I wouldn't have done that. You know what? I could see how that you thought that would be a good idea. And how did that work out? Okay, well, let's brainstorm a different thing. Failure is the birthplace of innovation. How about, especially because we're talking a lot about teenagers, giving them the opportunity to figure out how to get to the end. You know, they always say there's like more than one way to skin a cat, right? Mm -hmm. There's more than one way to accomplish getting your homework done. Okay. Letting them be creative about it. Exactly. Trevor, you need to get your homework done because you do. Right. This is like I when I would say it to, like because I have a 28 year old and a 19 year old, I've gotten two through high school, you know, mm-hmm. and I would say like going to school is your job. If you don't turn in your homework, it's like going to work and like not turning in your time card. So I had one kid who wanted to do homework with his music blaring. And I was a, a very young parent. I was 20 years old. So when he was to do that, I had been in that controlled environment. I'm like, oh, no, you have to have silence. and You have to do mm-hmm. this. You have to do that. He's like, mom. When I have the music on, I can concentrate. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, when I just let go of that control mm-hmm. and figured out, okay, let's see if you can figure out how to get your homework done with, you know, Metallica going, mm-hmm. he got his homework done. Right. 
My 19-year-old needed breaks. He couldn't sit down and do all of his homework. He would do a couple of pages because he needed the brain breaks. Because also, all of our kids are individuals. They don't function the same way that we do. And we need to give them the opportunity to tell us what they need. Because if they're doing it the way it works for them, they're going to get to the end. Right. And we can all relate to that as adults. Mm -hmm. Think about how you go to work and we need to do it the way we need to do it. The way we can wrap our brain around it. Everybody's different. Absolutely. And yes, doing homework to Metallica doesn't make a parent comfortable, but maybe that's a good battle to choose. Absolutely. If he's going to get his homework done. (laughs) Yes. Is this the hill you want to die on, whether or not he's listening to music? Right. And again, letting go of all the control you don't need. You didn't let go of the control that you have to do your homework. Uh You let go of the control of how they're going to do their homework. We're not letting go of rules and structure. We're letting go of what we don't need. And that's something we can all begin today. Absolutely. And that's a control we actually have, how we act. You and I have both read many parenting books. We've facilitated multiple parenting classes. It all comes down to patience, being present, taking Mm -hmm. time, which I know we all don't have, taking time and listening. And there's no shortcut for that. It's hard. (laughs) Absolutely. I got four kids that still live at home and they all have individual needs. They all do things differently. They aren't cookie cutter. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. But when I spent time investing in them, I spend less time disciplining them now. Yeah. Especially, I could add during COVID. Mm -hmm. My kid is 12. I know as much as hard as it is right now, we started snowboarding. I have no interest in snowboarding. I'm starting to get it because once you get out there, Mm -hmm. you enjoy it. I'm 49 years old. I'm falling on my ass. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? I'm not into new slippery sports, but I'm out there with them because I know I have to model it. Yes, because when you have that connection, they're going to pay attention to your words. And again, it goes back to modeling, right? Mm -hmm. Modeling how to deal with hard emotions. That's a way to connect. I will never forget when I started showing my kids my sadness instead of trying not to and stopping Mm -hmm. it. And then it would come out as irritation or anger Mm -hmm. because when we stuff our emotions, they come out when we don't want them to. So that's another thing. We don't always need to, as they get older, we don't, we don't always need to protect them. No. If we don't teach our kids how to have an argument in a healthy way and then have the resolution and the repair, how are they going to learn that? They're not all going to go get a master's degree in psychology and learn that from the Gottmans, right? They have to see it in their home, right? Mm -hmm. So if they see you and your wife have an argument, but you're not name calling, right? You're not, Mm -hmm. you're not doing that. You're literally like, I feel this way about this. She feels that way about that. Right. And then what if we modeled, you know what? I'm really frustrated right now. I need to go take a walk, calm down so we can have a better conversation about this. Holy crap, if we model that to our kids. I came home from a really hard day. You know, as therapists, sometimes we have really rough days, yeah. emotionally speaking. Mm-hmm. I walked in, my daughter saw me, she wanted to engage with me. And I said, I'm going to my room. And she followed me to my room. And I said, I've had a really hard day. I'm going to take a bath and I'm probably going to cry. Then I'll feel better. And then we're going to do what we had planned. Mm-hmm. I really want to spend that time with you, but I'm really 
sad right now and I need to handle that so that I can go have fun with you. Okay. And her was like, okay, mom, I love you. And not like my mom doesn't even want to spend time with me because I could have gone in and been like, I can't do that tonight. Right. And just went to my room. Instead, I was vulnerable and told her I had a hard day. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to feel better. And then I'm going to come down and I can be present with you. And I'm hearing a combination of being honest, but at the same time, not putting the burden on your child. It's not your child's job to cheer you up. No. Nope. You're letting them know I had a hard day. I'm going to cry. And then we can have fun. Right. Trish, you're absolutely awesome. Give us the, what's the name of your practice and the locations? Healing Solutions Family Therapy Center. We have a location in Lancaster on Lancaster Boulevard, and we have one in New Hall, just off of Main Street. And are you doing teletherapy? We are absolutely doing teletherapy. Um, uh, we have 27 therapists now. Wow. Are you currently taking clients? We are. Okay. Are Everybody hear that? Clients. We have a practice <laughs> taking client. Healing Solutions. Uh, what's the phone number? It's 661-903-8822. That's healingsolutionsftc.org. Just tell them Dan sent you, and you get a free tote bag. No, not really. I made that up. A couple of points I want to hit after that interview. First of all, the difference between authoritative and authoritarian parenting. It's important because they sound similar, but they're a lot different. Authoritative parenting is associated with positive outcomes. It's strict but structured, organized. Parents that are working together and have created rules that are grounded in their values and they're consistent with their consequences. Authoritarian is more whatever I say goes. That looks more like just walking around, you see your kid on your phone, on their phone, and it triggers you, and you just can just say, get off your phone. You don't even know what they're doing. They might be doing homework. They might be having an important conversation with a friend. Authoritarian tends to push kids away from us. That's when they hide in their room and avoid us. Next takeaway, give away the power that you can. That doesn't mean let your teens run wild, but teens have the developmental need for some agency in their life, including the power to fail and make mistakes. Motivation is derived from natural consequences and experiences, not lectures. You ever say to your teenager something like, hey, if you don't start to blah, 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 then you're never going to learn to blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Like, you, you know, you're talking to a wall. If that wall could talk, it might be like, you might be right, but I haven't learned that yet. You're telling me what I'm going to learn, so let me learn it. But it's challenging to let our children feel the full effects of their decisions or mistakes. For instance, the prospect of summer school seems like a good reason to nag your child, right? I mean, how am I being controlling when I'm trying to help my child be successful and avoid an experience that will suck and ruin his summer? Not to mention my own. On the other hand, natural consequences not only provide a growth opportunity for our kids, but the opportunity to adjust the parenting role we play to one that's more loving and compassionate. If your kid is in summer school, you don't have to lecture him about the consequences of his actions because life is doing that for you. And now there might be room to be more supportive and even, even 
proud of your child for struggling through it. In other words, connecting to Dr. Shafali, she goes on to say, the parenting experience isn't that of the parent versus the child, but the parent with the child. We want to, as much as possible, be on their side as they struggle rather than inflicting the struggle, playing the heavy. We can achieve this by looking for opportunities to let life do our work. Life can be a great teacher and mentor. Life doesn't charge a copay either. Life doesn't bring you into its office and blame you after you shell out $165 an hour. I know it's, it's, it's a frustrating dynamic. I get it. Let's say your kid gets his license suspended. Let life schlep him, her, or they to basketball practice. Life has buses, rides from friends, all sorts of opportunities for problem solving. So if we find ourselves wondering, you know, what's the line between healthy parent involvement and control, a good gauge might be, is life providing a legitimate consequence that I'm getting in the way of? Now, it's easy to give tough love advice when you're sitting here in the therapy chair Yet it's difficult. Okay, I'm still cleaning my son's dishes and picking up his laundry, and I, I have no excuse for that. So I want to introduce a couple of ideas to help contextualize this. First is a concept that I use with your teenagers and young adults when you send them to me. That is the idea of growth comfort as opposed to the discomfort we experience when we try to do the same thing over and over again, hoping for different results. The idea is that living our values and doing what we know deep down is right is often scary and uncomfortable, but perhaps preferable to the discomfort of banging our head against the wall with your teens by yelling, nagging, and trying to control them. If we're going to be uncomfortable, we might as well grow and at least be able to put our head on the pillow at night knowing we tried to make the tough choices rather than enabling or rescuing them. Okay, secondly... I like to use a lot of sports metaphors when I'm working with parents because sports is filled with failure. If you consistently fail seven out of 10 times in baseball, you make the Hall of Fame. In football, if a team can move the ball four yards a carry every time, they would never lose. You'd always get a first down, but they have to punt anyway. The highest three-point shooters in the NBA miss more than they make. We can be successful parents by just trying to increase our average a few points. It's like Trish said, we're successes for showing up, not because of their achievements. Give away some of the power we don't need. Somebody once said to me something that really stuck. I can't remember who or where I was at the time. It was either AA or Al-Anon or Yoga or Yoganon. Or I, I, I was probably sitting in a circle at the time. If we can change our trajectory just a little bit, we wind up in a completely different place. Great concept for parenting. And by the way, taking steps to connect with your teens is something you can actually control as opposed to their behavior. I notice of the parents I work with, the helicopter parents often feel out of control, while those that are looking, making efforts to let go are more in control. So, I want to talk about an example I had with my 12-year-old. Now, by the way, being a therapist does not necessarily make me good at this stuff. We, we like to perpetuate that myth. You ever see a therapist in public? We like to be all calm and patient. Hey, buddy, it's someone else's turn on the trampoline now, okay? So I'm going to count to 10 in French or something. And then, of course, when no one else is looking, we're like, okay, get, get off the trampoline. Get, 
You ever do the ventriloquist? Get off of The point is, this is an imperfect journey. My son will be on the couch 10 years from now being like, dude, my dad was the classic therapist parent, you know? Always trying to be so diplomatic and non-judgmental. You know what, deep down, I wanted to play football. I wanted to be a winner. We never completely get it right. But right or wrong, we can try to connect with our kid. That being said, this was actually back in 2019. He was in the fourth grade, and now it's 2022. So I'm, you know, I'm just, just trying to bat 300 here. My son goes to a Jewish school in Portland. It was the holiday of Purim, which commemorates, hold on while I Google it, the saving of the Jewish people from Haman, the Persian Empire. Most of our holidays are about fighting off enslavement or getting out of Dodge. Purim involves costumes, and the kids were wearing one to school that day. My son is a dedicated costume maker using cosplay, which is foam, hot glue, and other creative materials. During this time, he had worked very hard on the Star Wars character Jango Fett. Those of you that know Star Wars might sense that there's going to be a problem already. The morning that Purim arrived, I happened to notice an email from school sent, you know, about two weeks prior, just getting to it, the subject heading Purim restrictions. I sensed trouble. The email went on to say that all costumes should be nonviolent so that everybody feels safe. So... I say to my son, uh, who, who is Django Fett? He answers, a bounty hunter, as he emerges with an amazing elaborate costume fully equipped with guns and grenades. I was in a kosher pickle. I was pretty sure that the entire costume would be considered violent, yet he had worked so hard on it. What's the right thing to do? Let's put a pin in that question. So I explained the situation to my son, and we made some modifications. He agreed to leave the gun and the grenades at home, but the holsters really pulled the outfit together. So he went into his workshop, and with a marker, and this, this was his idea, he wrote on the grenades and gun holsters, this is for food, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. For better or for worse, funny trumps all in my house. His mother was a comedian as well. So he went to school as this bounty hunter that doesn't kill people but distributes food to the needy. And it happened to all work out. No calls from the SWAT team that day. However, let's get to the right or wrong of it. And I'll address that with another quote from Dr. Sabari. A conscious parent doesn't look outside the parenting relationship for answers, but is confident that the answers can be found from both child and parent within the dynamic. In other words, it's not a cookie-cutter approach. There is no finite right or wrong, but always the opportunity to connect. This was between me and my son in that moment, based on our family values, which might lean toward artistic and creative, and we were going to learn from the experience together, whether it be an award for best costume or detention. Now, you might be thinking, I would have handled it differently. Exactly. When Trish talked about her son doing homework to Metallica, that kind of gave me the willies. In fact, this notion as parents that we have to be right all the time is a trap. Because being right means I got to dig my heels and defend my position. Now I'm going into school. Let's say there was a problem and I'm going into school. How dare you try to censor my amazing child's creativity? Now I'm that a-hole. 
In fact, as therapists, I don't think we can really tell you exactly how to parent. Some of my colleagues might disagree. Please let me know your thoughts. We can help you make a plan based on your values and our knowledge of teenage behaviors and brain development. But when parents ask, like, should I let him have his phone back or sleep in a hotel with his friends? I I don't want any part of that. What are you trying to accomplish? What are your values? Good parenting is showing up, trying to connect as best we can, improving our batting average. You're a good parent just for listening to this podcast. Join me for our next episode when we're going to talk about trauma. It's going to be really informative. We're going to have a great interview. And even if you or your child hasn't struggled with what we typically label as trauma, abuse, neglect, in other words, the big T's, there are a lot of small T's floating around which teenagers come in contact with. Bullying would be one of them. We want to be aware of the best way to approach these small T's because they often require a specific type of healing. You don't want to miss it. We'll see you next time on What Did I Say?